Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Where chickens thrive, humans are nearby. Portable and good travelers, chickens have been carried around the world by humans. Currently, there are three chickens alive at any one time for each individual person alive on Earth. Descendants of dinosaurs, chickens are primarily cared for by women. They're a never-ending source of slang and continue to be depicted in religious and or political symbols around the world. Americans eat, on average, 80 pounds of chicken per year, four times the world average, yet chickens raised for food are not considered animals under the United States laws and generally not subject to humane treatment regulations. Our guest in this edition of Radio Curious is Andrew Lawler, author of Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? The Epic Saga of the Bird That Powers Civilization. Andrew Lawler and I visited by phone from his home in the North Carolina hills on March 27, 2015, and began our conversation when I asked him, how far back the lineage of the chicken goes in the world. Well, if you want to take it way back, uh, there was a recent study that was done based on a, a Tyrannosaurus rex bone that was found in Montana a few years ago. And when they did the analysis of a little piece of cartilage that was discovered, they found a protein, and that protein was identical to uh, a protein that is found in today's chicken. So uh, that was really definitive proof, uh, you know, the, the first genetic proof that, in fact, uh, the chicken and other birds are descended directly from dinosaurs. When we eat a chicken, that's a relative of a dinosaur. If you look closely at a chicken, if you look at its feet, and particularly if you uh, were ever to attend a, a cockfight, though they're illegal, uh, they happen in many parts of the world, you would see the ferocity that still exists, uh, particularly within roosters. Let's move forward as to when chickens were domesticated and became close in proximity to people. Well, this is a, a rather hot topic uh, because we don't actually have clear answers yet. Uh, unlike a lot of other animals, like the dog, like the cat, we know very little about the early history of the chicken. Partly that's because its bones don't survive very well. Uh, they're smaller, and uh, also people tended to, to eat them, uh, But uh, and as well as dogs and other animals in a barnyard would, uh, would devour what was left of any chicken. But there are some, uh, some really good ideas that come out of recent genetic studies as well as archaeological work. And it seems that the chicken was uh, first domesticated probably in Southeast Asia and probably many thousands of years ago, say five or 6,000 years ago. Now, why it was domesticated for me was the big surprise. I assumed, like most people probably would, that the chicken was domesticated to eat uh, either its flesh or its eggs. But in fact, a lot of archaeologists now believe that the chicken was first domesticated, in fact, for its fighting abilities. Uh, I mentioned cockfighting. Uh, that, that cockfighting may have been the original use of the chicken uh, by early people in Southeast Asia. For entertainment. 
Uh, probably not. Uh, probably it began uh, as a religious ritual. Uh, there are still many countries, many places, uh, such as Bali uh, in the country of Indonesia, where cockfights are still associated with religious ritual, where you want to shed blood before you begin a fight, before, uh, sorry, before you begin a, a religious ritual, so you have a chicken fight. Uh, and they shed blood on the ground, and that paves the way for religious ritual to take place. Uh, so it sounds may sound a little crazy to, to modern-day folks in the West, but the chicken has long been associated with religious rituals, and uh, it seems that perhaps these cockfights began as, uh, as religious rituals that then, like bullfighting, say in Spain, uh, turned into entertainment. Religious rituals with chickens still exist in the United States and in many other countries. Tell us about them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, probably the most famous example uh, is within Santeria. And Santeria is a, uh, an Afro-Caribbean tradition that combines West African religions with, uh, with uh, Christianity, uh, brought from uh, West Africa by slaves and then adapted to the New World. And uh, the West Africans were very familiar with chicken, and the chicken was a, a basic part of, of their rituals. It was easy to sacrifice. It was small. It wasn't like sacrificing a cow. Uh, most people could afford to sacrifice a chicken. And so they're still used commonly in Santeria rituals uh, as a way to propitiate uh, the deities in that faith. And it's not just uh, African traditions. Uh, the Jewish tradition still uses the chicken. Uh, there is a, uh, a ritual that takes place in parts of New York, for example. I went to Crown Heights in New York on the eve of Yom Kippur, and there some Orthodox Jews, uh, they swing a chicken over their heads uh, as a way of, of taking away their sins uh, for the New Year, so they enter the New Year uh, clean. And these chickens are then uh, butchered and given to the poor to eat. So here there are two very diverse traditions, obviously, but I think it, it points out how versatile the chicken has been in uh, human religions over the past millennia. Uh, let's go back several millennia, Andrew Lawler, and tell us how the chickens have spread in the past 4,000 years throughout the world. Well, the first real evidence we have for domesticated chickens come from today's Pakistan uh, and western India. This was an area that was part of the Indus River civilization. It's not as well known as Egypt or Mesopotamia, that is today's Iraq, but about 4,000 years ago, there were three great civilizations, Egypt, Mesopotamia, and the Indus River Valley. Uh, China was, was just beginning to blossom then. And they, uh, archaeologists have found evidence of domesticated chickens in the Indus River Valley. Now, it, what seems very likely based on uh, textual evidence found in Mesopotamia is that the chicken made its way from India by boat to Arabia and up the Persian Gulf to the great city of Ur, uh, which is famous for traditionally being the home of Abraham in the Bible, uh, who left Ur. Uh, Ur in 2000 B.C. Was the, was the big city of its day, was the London, New York, Shanghai of its day, a very cosmopolitan place where traders from all over the world, the known world at that time, uh, came to, to trade and to um, uh, mix and mingle. And with this trade came the chicken. 
And from there, the the bird seems to have spread to Egypt maybe 500 years or so later. But what's interesting is that during these early years in the West, the chicken was actually a royal bird. It was a it was so exotic that it was kept in the zoos of kings. Uh, Thutmose, for example, in Egypt, the pharaoh, he kept uh, kept the bird as well as Mesopotamian rulers at the same time. So there were very few chickens, and they were very exotic-looking, and they weren't common, and they weren't used for eating or for their eggs. Uh, they were clearly prized because they were beautiful and somewhat regal. Eventually, chickens um, were brought to all of the continents except Antarctica. So the chicken began to spread uh, from Southeast Asia up into China, and then it worked its way uh, uh, west to India, as I mentioned, and then to Europe. And eventually it made its way to the New World. Now, how it got to the New World is a really interesting question. Most people have long assumed that since there were no chickens, chickens are native to the New World, that that Columbus brought them. And in fact, Columbus did take chickens with him. But uh, about 10 years ago, uh, an archaeologist in Chile discovered some chicken bones uh, on the coast of Chile in South America. And when those bones were dated, uh, they seem to be pre-Columbian. That is, they they seem to ex- they seem to have uh, been part of a chicken that lived before 1492. Now, this was a shocker because if the chicken did not exist in the New World until Columbus brought it, how could you have a chicken predating 1492? Well, there's been a big debate about whether or not the the dating on those bones is correct. But the authors of that research paper postulated that the chicken actually arrived in the New World from the other direction, that it came from Polynesia. And today we do know that the chicken was essential for the settlement of the Pacific Islands by the Polynesians, and that wherever they went, they tended to take dogs and pigs and chickens. But the one animal that they never did without, including on Easter Island, which was the most far-flung place that they that we know they arrived, uh, they had the chicken. And in fact, Easter Islanders seem to have survived in part because they had chickens. They had these enormous stone chicken coops. And it's very possible that those Polynesians traveled a little bit further, a thousand miles or so further, to the east and hit South America, in which case the chicken may actually have been introduced from the other direction. Let's talk about chickens in the United States and their development in our country. But before you answer that, I'd like to say that uh, we're visiting with Andrew Lawler. He's the author of Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? The Epic Saga of the Bird that Powers Civilization. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The United States and chickens. What's the development? Well, the chicken came with the the first Westerners, the first Europeans that arrived in the United States in 1607, the first permanent settlement in Jamestown, uh, and the chickens uh, there helped the colonists survive uh, harsh few winters. And also in the Plymouth colony to the north uh, that was settled a dozen years or so later, the chicken was also an important part of the original livestock that were brought over. But very quickly, the bird became, uh, let's say, played second fiddle to all the other animals that were available. There were geese, there were ducks, and of course, there was the turkey, uh, which served in a similar role as the, the chicken in the New World. So there was a lot of competition, and the chicken was not really considered very important. 
Now, as a result of that, when slaves were living on plantations uh, across the, the southern part of the United States, their masters tended to think of chickens as unimportant. Therefore, they allowed slaves, who mostly were from West Africa, where the chicken was, was widely used and people had great experience in uh, caring for chickens, they were allowed to actually have chickens and to sell them uh, to their owners. So it was one of the very few ways that African Americans were allowed to express the uh, entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and uh, over time, from the 1600s up, up until the Civil War, the uh, African Americans were known as the general chicken merchants throughout the South. And both freed slaves, and as well as both both those who were freed and those who were still enslaved on plantations, took part in this economy. Uh, and a lot of slaves earned a fair amount of money uh, and were able to actually build up uh, some uh, some cash, which was extremely unusual then. It was about the only way that slaves could do so. So the, the chicken actually became a, a really important part of the plantation economy and a way for African Americans to make some money. In your book, Why Did the Chicken Cross the World?, you have a section devoted to the fact that women were the ones who primarily looked after and cared for the chickens. Tell us about that. Yes, this was uh, a, a little bit of a surprise when I began to dig into it because, you know, again, the, the chicken was considered not so important. And men uh, who were farming a you know, hundred years or so ago, uh, they thought of themselves as real farmers who farmed uh, cotton or tobacco or corn or other crops, uh, if they had a lot of animal husbandry, it was pigs or cattle. Chickens were considered women's work. It was they were the the those are the animals that lived outside the, the the back door and would get the scraps from the meals. They weren't considered very important economically. They were just a, a nice addition to the farmyard, but were not critical uh, for for making everything run. But women knew better. They understood that the chicken actually was extremely useful, not only providing eggs uh, and recycling the scraps, but also in the meat that ultimately resulted when a chicken was too old to lay eggs or to throw people awake in the morning. So uh, gradually women began to, to use the chickens uh, as the cities developed, in, particularly in the north, to make money, uh, much as African Americans had done previously. So by the late 1800s, there were a lot of women who were able to uh, get a, a good deal of money by selling eggs and having them shipped in the, the new railroads that had been built to the cities of the North. And this really gave women a, uh, an income that they many had not had before, uh, where men generally controlled the family finances. So it provided uh, a really important source of revenue for women, particularly in the South, where the uh, farmers tended to be you know, quite poor. So it really became a, a, a way for women to um, uh, have enough money to go to town, to buy a dress, to become more educated, and uh, served an important role in our society during the, uh, the 19th century. On the flyleaf of your book, you point out that at any given time in the world, there are three chickens for every person. In other words, over 20 billion chickens are on the earth right now, notwithstanding the fact that they don't sleep by our feet like dogs and cats. Uh, so relate that, if you would, to the food value of the chicken meat and the eggs that 
they give us? Well, it's, the chicken has come a long way. Uh, as we talked about in the past, the bird was used for a variety of purposes. It woke the farmer up. It uh, provided uh, a, a source of uh, a religious ritual. It provided entertainment through cockfighting. It had a lot of roles. Uh, it also could tell the future, according to, to some societies, such as the ancient Romans, but when we get to the present day, the chicken is seen almost strictly as an economic uh, production machine. It is, a, it is a meat and egg machine. So when the chicken became the meat and egg machine for the world, suddenly the numbers of chickens shot up. So starting in the 1920s and 1930s, the number of chickens that were grown both for uh, their meat and their eggs began to increase exponentially. And you can track the the uh, urbanization in the developed world and now in the developing world, and it tracks very clearly with the growth of chickens. In other words, the more cities, the more people in cities, the more chickens. And those chickens, of course, are not, for the most part, in people's backyards anymore. They're in huge cities of uh, of their own, these kind of uh, gulags almost, uh, chicken gulags that exist usually far away from cities, but which are producing billions and billions of chickens a year uh, for consumption, as well as uh, billions and billions of eggs. Andrew Lawler, notwithstanding the fact of uh, the industrial production of chickens, a rather morbid topic and something that we might not want to know about, we can perhaps devote another program to, uh, tell us about a visit you had with a woman who wore a pin that said, stick up for chickens. Uh, this woman is a, a vegan. Yes, that's right. Karen Davis, who lives on the eastern shore of Virginia, uh, has a farm, and there she cares for rescue chickens. That is, chickens that they have fallen off uh, a truck going to uh, a processing factory, or somebody has rescued it from uh, a research lab. And uh, I decided to visit her because you know, there's, there's a lot that's been written about the treatment of chickens, and I wanted to meet somebody who actually feels strongly about chickens as uh, animals that are due a good deal of respect. And when I went to visit, she took me on a tour, and I was able to see, uh, I think, more clearly the individuality of chickens, as well as the kind of the, the other side, the, the dark side of the way we have bred chickens. So chickens today, industrial chickens, often have been bred so that they have enormous breasts, sometimes breasts that are so heavy that their legs actually break. Uh, In other words, we've designed them to be meat machines and perhaps have forgotten that actually they are living creatures that suffer. So Karen Davis is an example of somebody who is is really trying to uh, hold a mirror up to us and show us that the chicken deserves better, that these are creatures that, like dogs or cats, uh, people would be appalled if a dog or a cat were treated that way. The chickens are no different. You know, these are creatures that uh, have a good deal of intelligence, and we know that from recent research. I went to a, a lab in Italy where they're doing a, a good deal of chicken research, and they, they really have uh, shown quite clearly that the bird uh, has a good deal of intelligence, has memory, it can count uh, small chicks that, can, that are just hatched, can perform logical problems successfully. Uh, so when you put it all together, I think it's time for us to reevaluate how we treat chickens and what these birds actually are. Because under U.S. law, I was amazed to find out the chicken is not even considered an animal. In other words, there are no 
protections in place for chickens whatsoever because they're considered meat. They're not considered animals. So staying with uh, how chickens are treated, let's look at the genetic changes that are being established to create chickens that uh, are easy to care for, inexpensive, and adaptable. Using the example that you tell us in your book, Why Did the Chicken Cross the World?, about a woman in Kenya named Sheila Ame. Yes, I went to visit Sheila in Nairobi. She's an agronomist uh, at a university there, and she's given a lot of thought to how to adapt chickens to particular environments. In Kenya, for example, they have very extreme weather. It gets very hot there. There are lots of different diseases, and Western chickens simply don't do well there. A lot of well-meaning uh, NGOs have have brought chickens to Kenya and tried to raise them there, and they tended to die off. So Sheila's been trying to uh, promote the use of village chickens, to adapt village chickens for wider use across uh, Kenya. And it's really important because uh, often the eggs that these chickens produce are important sources of protein, particularly for children. And the meat, of course, is is often uh, really critical during certain seasons where the harvest is not in or the harvest has been destroyed. So the the work that she's doing, I think, is great because it shows that the existing village chickens around the world, which have been pretty much ignored by uh, geneticists working in the poultry industry, are actually quite valuable for millions and perhaps billions of people around the world. So in the Reproduction Act of Chickens, you point out that the rooster has no penis. How are the hen's ovum fertilized? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Uh, it's it, it's quite hilarious that the the bird that is the considered the epitome of uh, the male organ actually does not have a penis, as you mentioned. Uh, what what chickens do when they do it is they do what's co- delicately called a cloacal kiss. That is, these birds have uh, have a cloaca. That is one exit for for uh, everything for the egg, for the sperm, uh, and for waste. And when they press the, their cloacas together, the rooster's sperm is injected into the the hen's uh, the hen's cloaca, and then can fertilize the eggs that are being produced in her ovum. So it's a it's a it's a pretty remarkable uh, uh, system that is has evolved for chickens that is fairly unique. There are other animals like ducks, for example, where the males do have penises. But in the case of chickens and a few other birds, they have evolved away from uh, from having penises and have simply found another way. And uh, a way, I might add, that clearly is, has proved to be uh, an evolutionary success. Can you relate the development of slang uh, to chicken and chicken parts? Absolutely. The, uh, there's so many words that we use that are related to chicken that we might even uh, we might not even realize. Uh, the most famous, of course, is cockpit. Our pilots steer their planes from from the cockpit. Now, the cockpit, of course, is the place where uh, cockfighting took place. Uh, there are lots of other examples that involve fighting. But what's interesting is that the idea of, of being chicken, uh, that is being a coward, these are pretty new ideas, and they came about in the early 20th century. This is a time when the chicken was becoming industrialized, where thousands and thousands and thousands of chickens were being crammed together into chicken houses, and people began to think of chickens as 
as kind of dumb, which was not the case in the ancient world, where chickens actually were considered to be very in tune with uh, with spirits, uh, with uh, understanding what's going to happen in the future. They were considered uh, close to the gods. But that began to change in the early 20th century, and our whole idea of uh, chicken uh, now, I think, is says more about us than it does about the chicken, because it happened when we began to uh, mass-produce the bird. You close your book with an interesting story about the return of the red jungle fowl to its origin. Yes, one of the uh, one of the, the the sad results of the chicken spreading around the world is that the the chicken is mating with the very wild bird that it came from, the the bird called the red jungle fowl that lives in South Asia. So as chickens have spread uh, across South Asia and into small villages. The villages are are more and more taking over the, the forest areas, and the red jungle fowl's habitat now is uh, is shared with domesticated chickens. And as a result, because domesticated chickens can breed with the red jungle fowl, the red jungle fowl is using losing its genetic integrity. And this is of some concern because uh, you want to be able to maintain a wild creature partly because it has a great deal of uh, genetics that uh, would be lost uh, if we only had domesticated birds, and partly simply because uh, it's probably a a good thing to be able to keep a wild creature uh, in its wild state. So there are some uh, biologists uh, here in the United States who've been working to find uh, purebred red jungle fowl in order to reseed the forests of South Asia with these birds, and I think it's a you know it's a wonderful endeavor because it I think it forces people to confront the fact that uh, the chicken is extremely important for our society and that the wild bird ought to be respected as well as the domesticated creature. Well, Andrew Lawler, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you share with us a eureka or an aha moment in your life that changed your view of the world? Well, my aha moment was it took place in the middle of the night. I had been working on a a book idea about how civilization uh, spread across the world, and I was trying to find a way to express it. I had just done an article for Smithsonian Magazine about the chicken, and I woke up in the middle of the night and thought, that's it. Why did the chicken cross the world? That actually, by following the chicken and by tracing its movement, we're able to better understand uh, the spread of civilization, and more importantly, something about humanity. Uh, and I, I love this idea that the chicken is a mirror for us, that it's not just a, a creature that we might eat, but it actually has so much information that can tell us so much about ourselves. And Andrew Lawler, what would you like to do with the rest of your One Precious Life? Well, I want to write more books. Uh, so right now I'm uh, currently working on some uh, freelance articles. I just got back from the Amazon doing a story about uncontacted people in the jungles there. And I'm exploring different ideas uh, that I might pursue. But I love writing. I love exploring. I love traveling. And I hope to do that as long as I can. And finally, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a number that I would uh, I would highly praise. I think, um, you know, one that readers maybe are very familiar with that I, I found really enjoyable is Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond, which gives a a very nice big-picture view of how civilization spread. Um, And then there are about 10,000 novels I could name, but I'll just leave it at one. 
Well, Andrew Lawler, author of Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? Thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. It's been a pleasure, Barry. Thank you. Andrew Lawler is the author of Why Did the Chicken Cross the World? The Epic Saga of the Bird that Powers Civilization. The book Andrew Lawler recommends is Guns, Germs, and Steel, The Fates of Human Societies by Jared M. Diamond. This program was recorded on March 27, 2015. There are over 500 editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free to listen, download, and share as you wish. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer, and I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>